0: As we prepare to hear the message, let's say together a prayer as we read from the Word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Al
1: Beagle said to me a few weeks ago, he prefers me with my mask on. (laughs) Uh, Good to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. Good to uh, worship together, amen. Uh, Good to have um, our children's ministry uh, starting under... All the necessary protocol we need because we recognize how difficult a time this has been for them in particular when it comes to worship. And so I want to express uh, perhaps publicly my appreciation for uh, those who have made it possible under Pastor Jan's leadership uh, to do that today. And so glad to see many of our families here this morning. A familiar passage of Scripture, one that I preached on not too long ago, which means I don't have much more to say. I don't think anybody here will be upset with a short sermon. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But this morning, let's just say, you know, uh, inspiration has run dry, and I, I found myself saying, Lord, I don't know exactly what more I can say on this text that has not already been said. There's two things, however, that this does come to mind. The first is simply this, that sometimes when we read Scripture and we appropriate it personally or individually, we think about it as applicable just to me, we may miss the bigger import, the bigger meaning, the bigger purpose of such Scripture. And so I want to invite you to do something specific. I want you to hear this as a word not just for me, but a word for us. The second thing that I want to suggest to you this morning is that this is a scripture that often is equated with abilities. The word talents itself uh, does not mean the same thing we think it means today. And so it's a scripture that's not so much about our unique giftings and abilities as it is about the one who gives us the grace of Jesus Christ, this incredible treasure, and asks us to live out of the grace that has been given. To put it differently, this is not about whether we have unique gifts individually like preaching or teaching or evangelism. This is about the God who gives unto His church all it needs to do the work to which He has called it. And so I begin with a question, a very important question. I think, what type of church does Jesus want us to be for such a time as this? There is much to fear, for sure. There is much to be afraid of in our present culture and circumstance. And over the weeks, I have shared with you that the church has been through some horrid and difficult times historically. We ought not to be surprised by the deserts or the wilderness or the liminal spaces. And so the question is not necessarily only answered for such a season, but in such a season, I think it's really important that we remember what Jesus has intended for His church to be irrespective of the season it finds itself in. But particularly in this season, we are called to a particular way of thinking and living that may go contrary to our natural instinct. This particular parable is interesting because... Biblical scholars will tell us this is kind of in that, in that last part of Matthew where Jesus is preparing His disciples for what is coming. Uh, I think Pastor Doug last week when he was preaching alluded to the fact that when someone says something, knowing that their time is running up, we better pay attention. The cross is in view. Uh, Jesus would be betrayed, as we know, and he would be executed, but he would rise from the dead and he would ascend to the Father. But before all of that happens, he kind of tries to prepare his disciples for how to live when the world around them is going to change at a dramatic pace. Uh, Some scholars tell us that when Jesus speaks here, he is... In part alluding to what would happen later in the first century in 70 AD when the Romans would raise the city of Jerusalem and desecrate the temple. Uh, that dislocation for the people of God would be significant because the temple meant so much to them. It was the source of their self-understanding. And there's a sense in which when we hear this text and what Jesus is saying, that He is speaking to a people who would very soon stand in a place they had not been before, and Jesus is instructing them, telling them how to live even when things change significantly. Are you not excited in some ways to know that Jesus thinks ahead of things? Man, I am happy that the pandemic didn't surprise Him. It surprised me. It surprised most of us. But it makes me hear this particular text in a way that maybe this morning would be encouraging to you. I think we live in a time when it would become easy to allow fear to limit faithfulness. I think we live in a season in which it would be easy to allow fear to impede our purpose. I want to recommend to you this morning that the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy is still important to grasp and hold on to and in faith appropriate today. For he says this, if we may receive it as the church, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. Fear does all kinds of things to us individually. Worry and anxiety can define our lives. But more specifically, churches can respond in non-Christian ways when they act out of fear. I pastored in different settings across Canada, and and, uh, I won't mention the church. But one church that I was an associate pastor at built a huge fence around the property. Now, this fence was built before the senior pastor and I arrived at this church, and when I inquired as to the, 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 the sheer magnitude of this thing, 12 feet high in some places, the whole circumference of the building, I, I was told that the community had changed, and, and with that change, the church had become afraid of people getting inside it. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it that way. Uh, There there is a way in which the church, uh, perhaps even in its architecture, can reflect a posture that God does not honor. You know, when I preached last week, I suggested to you that that Revelation gives us this incredible picture of uh, unveiling for us what God wants to do in our world. And and if we uh, believe that He is going to make all things new it should give us a different lens to look at everything that we are encountering today. And so we come to a particular text that is well-worn. And I only have two points this morning, not three. I think that when I read the text, there's something that perhaps has escaped me before. It's simply this, that the, the... landowner gives all three of these servants, these slaves, what they need to succeed. Now, the word talent, uh, as if you've studied any of this stuff, is equated to being six, we're not exactly sure, but we're guessing six to ten thousand denarii, which is a A denarii was a unit of payment for a day's work. Do the math, right? So if one denarii averages a single day of labor, labor even on the conservative end, this landowner has given a lot to his servants. Uh, The first one gets five. It will be equating perhaps 75 years' wages. Hey, that's a good RRSP. The second is given two, that's 30 years. And the last one is given one, which is 15 years of wages. Now, the point of this particular peril is often uh, misconstrued because the way in which we think about the landowner's actions often reveals the way in which the church sometimes measures itself. Uh, We look around and we think that others... uh, have more than us, more ability than us, more than we have, and so therefore we are off the hook. Or perhaps we think of this as being unfair, because why would he give five to one and only one to another? But the Scripture says this, and I'm not quite sure I understand it, but I think it's important to note that the landowner gives to each according to their own ability. I think there's nothing worse than giving something to somebody that cannot handle it. And because the landowner gives to each one according to their ability, no one's off the hook. Each one can do with what the landowner has given, what he intends for it. Therefore, making this point very clear, that the landowner gives collectively everything he has, he entrusts to these three, and he believes that he has given them enough to do what they need to do now sometimes the church operates as if it does not have enough this kind of deficiency mentality if we just could get more people if we just can get more talent if we just can have more in the bank account if we just can have better preaching this is not the place you nod your head if we just can have more, but, but can I just be kind of almost anecdotal this morning? I, I look at this text and I, and I see an owner who gives absolutely everything we need to do his will. Uh, kingdom economy is different to the economics of our day. Sometimes we find these texts hard because it breaks down for us at this point of comparison. Uh, But the distinction here is not necessarily between five and one, but what is done with that which is given. And it gives us a remarkable picture of what Jesus is saying to the church, that disciples are not one that simply wait passively for the return of Christ. The church is not simply to become dormant and to dig a hole and cover itself up and wait for when the master returns. That the image that is given to us here of the kingdom is one that has nothing to do with passivity and everything to do with believing that the one who gives us what we need has given us enough to do what he has called us to do. The question I think the text begs is, will we? Will we be the church that uses this tremendous gift that has been given us? I think the value in the text makes a significant point that what has been given is incredibly valuable. I got to be honest, you know, I'm I'm kind of coming close to that magical half-century mark. Someone just out in public, I was out in public yesterday, and, and I had to give my age, and they were shocked. They thought I was like in my 30s. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good genes right here. But the, the closer I get to kind of this half stage, if you want, of, you know, getting to 50, the more I am thinking about, you know, what, is it, what does it look like to get to that end goal, you know, that golden retirement age? Right now, 15 years will bring me close. <laughs> Maybe 30 years. I mean, I'm going, you know, from the economics perspective, you know, that would get me close. But but the point of this text has, has so very little to do with just Making it to the end isn't it just waiting it out uh, to kind of sit back and say all is okay. It has everything to do with a God who gives us His riches so that we may use it to profoundly impact His world. And the church that does so is a church that does not operate in fear but in faith. So, if we've been given everything we need to do, His will, and Peter says it differently, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, let's not dig holes and bury what we've been given. Let's not become afraid at sharing what has been our inheritance Now, in Jesus' day, in an age where there were no banks to safely secure one's money, burying it was an acceptable way of securing one's wealth. Of course, you would bury it in places that people wouldn't know. Modern-day archaeologists are very appreciative because they are still uncovering treasures that had been buried. The closest I come is when I kind of put on an old pair of pants and I find a $10 bill. (laughs) You have three kids? That's a lot, you know. (laughs) It's like I don't want them to know I have this, you know, kind of thing. Oh, I like the I like the 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 show Storage Wars. Anybody? I I don't watch it. I I don't. I don't. We don't get that channel anymore, you know. Perhaps it was good for me because I just wasted hours watching Storage Wars. But I always love this kind of discovery, you know, this discovery of treasure, you know, in all the mundane things of life that you know we we accumulate and then they find that piece of art or something that just and i love that discovery but the church is not called to bury its treasure in fact in the sermon that jesus first preaches in matthew's gospels he 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 would he would put it this way he says you are the light of the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The disciples would face persecution. Some of them would be martyrs. And yet, Jesus' word to them is, "...the great treasure that is given." is a treasure that can make you remarkably influential for my kingdom in the present. Do not live a life that is shaped by fear, but in faith believe that not only has God given the church, all it needs is that he is the resurrected ones, one who even overcomes death. We as followers of Jesus are called not only to be faithful in times of certainty and prosperity and wealth, but in particular in times where things are hard. If I was to talk about the two churches that I see in this text, the one is the church that sees the master as entrusting them with a lot and creatively imagines how they can use what God has given them to change the world. And then there is the other church, the one that is afraid of losing what it has been given. Jesus has this kingdom principle. Those who try to save their life will lose it. But those who give their lives away We'll find it. I'm going to get a little archaic with you. I'm going to reminisce. Heard my mom sing the song. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I freely give. I, I think there is, um, there is something profoundly important about the call that God puts on the church. It is a call to trust Him so much, and to understand that He is the one that has given us this grace of salvation and to be able to give back not just what belongs to Him, but to give Him our all. In this particular season... My natural instinct is to put my kids in safety bubbles. You know, the, the one benefit of this social distancing is they're not allowed to kiss. You think I'm talking about my daughters. I'm talking about my son, you know. Like. There's, there's this instinctive reaction that I have to be protective. And churches like us now have a choice to make. Well, we act as ones... We want to hide, or do we believe that what we have is not only valuable, but can make a difference? Let me ask you very specific questions. What would it look like to let go of the fear of loss and to embrace the hope in Jesus Christ that even if I live very boldly, very generously, and very openly, even if I share my faith in a season like this, that this is what brings joy to God. I close with this thought, and it's in the text. The first two who multiply what has been given, uh, when the Master returns, he welcomes them to share in his joy. I've never thought of it this way. <laughs> And the joy has kind of this eschatological meaning, and I won't go down that road except to say this. Isn't it wonderful that we serve a God who delights in risk-takers and in those who are willing to use what they have been given to make a difference? Our church is uniquely postured to be that church it won't happen unless we trust that God is with us by his spirit even in this season and wants so much more for us than simply surviving the wilderness but to share in his inheritance. Who we will become as a church is really up to our willingness to trust the Lord. Will you respond this morning as I prepare to pray? And maybe uh, some questions to get you thinking about what I've said um, that can spark some prophetic imagination, (laughs) is what is God calling us as a church to do in a season where most are afraid? How is God leading me as a person to bring hope, to bring life, and to instill faith Dear God, we do not want to be the kind of people who make decisions because we are afraid. Help us this morning through your word that has been spoken very simply. To first and foremost recognize that you entrust us with so much. (laughs) You've given us all we need for this life. To fulfill your plan and your purpose. Make us not only grateful, but make us courageous. <laughs> Begin that work in this pastor's heart. This pastor who, 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 because of losses in my own life, is sometimes afraid to risk. Lord, I pray that you would instill within me a bold courage that comes from knowing your spirit is in me and at work within our church. But I pray that such boldness and courage would sweep upon your church in a season of disorientation and fear. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would empower us to believe that nothing you are, that there's nothing that you cannot overcome. But that you, Father are indeed with us. By your grace and in your mercy we pray and all God's people says, Amen.